Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast. Uh, We thank you guys for being here and I can tell already that you guys are in for a treat today. We are excited for our guest who is here with us today. And I was just joking with him earlier that um, when I found out that he was going to be our guest and and was going to share uh, the topic at hand, I was automatically intrigued. And so I'm excited to hear his story as I'm sure you guys are as well too. And this is on our segment, our story of resilience segment, as we interview um, guests both within our valley as well as outside of our valley about um, situations and life circumstances that they have lived and been through and um, what they have learned going through the process. So with that being said, I'll introduce you guys to Caden Laga. I'm hoping I said it right that time. Perfect. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Caden, if you want to tell us a little bit about you, what you do, who you are, and then we will uh, dive into your story. So go ahead. Thank you, Hillary and Jennifer, for having me on the podcast. Um, so like I said, my name is Caden Laga. I live um, I live in Utah Valley. Um, grew up in rural Idaho. Um, and I have two children. Uh, my oldest is three. And the youngest is uh, nearly a year old. And so, um, and I work uh, in digital advertising. That's what I do for a living. Um, Growing up in rural Idaho, we were big um, wilderness people. Um, My my dad was uh, really into backpacking, but also really into horse packing. And as he got uh, older, he just got more and more into horsepacking. So I grew up in uh, the backwoods, and the setting for today's story uh, is in the backwoods. So there's some context with me. Grew, definitely grew up in the mountains. Okay. And so having two little ones yourself, it sounds like you guys probably, I mean, you're keeping yourself quite busy with the at three and one year old. <laughs> yes. Uh, both, both are boys. And uh, it is a lot. It is a lot, as I'm sure a lot of you know. (laughs) (laughs) We love them. But sometimes we're like, let us sleep just a little bit more than what we are sleeping. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Well, Caden, thanks for sharing a little bit about that. And as he mentioned, um, having this this childhood and this life of um, being outside and and being outdoors is exactly where our, our story is going to go. So, Caden, if you will, I'm just going to let sh- turn the time over to you a little bit. And if you'll just share your story as to what happened. Absolutely. So um, after I moved, I've been in Utah for a um, uh, little over seven years. And uh, my parents moved from Idaho to Montana. And so I go would go up every uh, summer and do a trip with my dad. It was pretty uh, standard fare. Um, no, generally, it was a horse horse packing trip. And so we went like we did, uh, you know, many years. He where they lived in Montana is near the uh, the Bitterroot Wilderness area, and I think it's important, especially if a lot of the viewers are in Utah, to understand how different. 
uh, the Bitterroot Wilderness is from any kind of hiking that you're doing in Utah. It is the largest wilderness area in the U.S. except for some wilderness areas in Alaska. So this wow. is a very deep backcountry. These trails are not cut for leisure. They are old fire trails that are maintained once a year, and the maintenance is cutting out trees. And generally, a trail will become ridden with trees again about a week after being cut out, out, but still navigate, you're still able to navigate. So we travel with, uh, we would travel with uh, like tools to cut down trees that were in the way if it was not passable for horses. It's also not uncommon in these trails to lose the trail for a certain period of time and pick it up again, um, because, like I said, these are not leisurely trails. We're also uh, at least at the trailhead 50 miles from civilization with very few other vehicles that frequent the trails, um, and then whatever additional distance in your, you're in. Um, so it's just important for you to know because because I got lost, people kind of went, oh, <laughs> why didn't you just walk towards the city? And that's a very funny comment to think of because <laughs> I'm familiar with that country. But if you're not, I can understand, you know, if I hike up Cottonwood Canyon, I, I don't think I can get lost up Cottonwood Canyon, no matter how hard I try. Yeah. Um, you just need to follow the traffic. So that's the situation. It was me. Um, my dad, um, my little brother, and my little sister who were on the trip. Um, it was only supposed to be a three-day trip. I had work I needed to be back to on uh, Monday, and we were supposed to come out Sunday night. Um, but Sunday morning, things went south. Um, my little brother, my little brother's horse uh, became lame, um, and we was really struggling for the first half of the day. And then he got to a point where he was, uh, could not proceed and would not proceed with any amount of, um, encouragement that we could give him. Um, so, and this, this can happen, um, where, uh, especially in cases of illness, we don't know exactly what the scenario was with the animal, but where they get, so bad. It's not that we're riding them so hard. It wasn't like we were covering so much ground, but but the horse was obviously ill, was having difficulties with his legs, and and stood and and basically said, "I will not move. I'm going mm -hmm. to die here." So we spent the greater half of the of the afternoon trying to figure it out, and and just got to a point where we said we need to abandon this animal and come back for it later. Um, we were at this point, probably a good, at least 20 miles from the trailhead because, and so we were very far behind on the day. Um, so we unsaddled the horse, configured how we were going to get the gear out. And we decided that we were going to switch people walking, um, so that we could cover the 20 miles. And if worse came to worse, I was just going to need to miss work the next day and we were mm -hmm. you know what I mean we were going to need to just get out when we could safely and so uh I quickly ate lunch um and since I was one of the stronger hikers I said I will hike out ahead I can put some serious distance on um and you you all will catch up to me and then 
depending on my fatigue levels, we can switch out the blockers. So I took off um, and I have um, with this story uh, from this point on, I have the the <laughs> benefit of hindsight and I also have gone back and retraced all of my steps. So I have a very good understanding of what happened, what went wrong. So you get the privilege of knowing that. I definitely did not. So um, there are trails that, of course, are not maintained, but used to be maintained years and years ago. And sometimes those trails can have spurts that are clearer than the real trail that is cut out. And that is what happened to me. So I was at an intersection without realizing I was at an intersection. And my trail, I could not see on foot. I could see it on horseback when I came back, but you could not see far enough up up the the mountain that we were climbing to see where the trail was. But I could see, I could clearly see the detour trail. So I didn't even have any warning lights going off of, oh, this is an intersection. It just looked like a continuous trail to me. Um, and it was heading in the same direction as um, we were heading, right? Like it matched up with the map. Um, I did not have the map on me, but I had been navigating. And so I had it pretty well memorized, all the different, it shows all the trails, even if they're not maintained, what exists. And I had estimated that we were not anywhere near an intersection. So for me, everything is flashing good. This is the right direction to go. It's not even a thought, honestly. Um, and then as I continue down this trail, a good mile, two miles, the trail becomes not as clear as it was and actually becomes very rough. And I'm needing to navigate by old cuts. So I'm looking for trees that have been cut by man. And that to me is indicating I am on a trail. So that continues for a while until I stop and I think and I go, there's no way I'm I've been hiking for at least two, two or three hours. There's no way they couldn't have caught me by now. I was moving very quickly, but there was no way that they wouldn't have caught up to me at that point on horseback. And then immediately I went, I am lost. I am the wrong direction. I'm a long way from the trailhead and I will die. Like I have made the critical error that cannot be, that I can't climb back from. Um, and yeah, it was. And, and so with that came, uh, honestly, some very immediate peace of, you know, what a beautiful place to die. Um, I'm, I believe that there's life after this life. And for that reason, I just went, I guess this is it. You know what I mean? Like every, there's statistics of people who die in the wilderness and I happen to be that number. And, um, and this is where my, you know, my mortal journey ends and that's okay. Um, however, at the time my wife was pregnant with our first child. And so he, um, she would have been about six or seven months pregnant at this point. And so then my very next thought after feeling that peace was you don't get to be at peace and you don't get to die. You have to fight to, um, to keep your commitment. You need to raise, you need to raise your child, um, which was <laughs> very daunting, but, but was like, okay, 
I, I need to put on my thinking cap now. I can't die. That's not okay. Um, and so I constructed a plan. And um, the problem is, however, so I had a plan and people go, well, why don't you just go back the way you, you go? The problem is I was not able to refine the trail that I had been roughly following. One of the difficulties is that when I had my realization, I was at least probably a quarter of a mile into a wood fallen area. Um, and that was one of the things that prompted my realization is even if the horses are following me, they won't be able to get through this. I need to go back. And then I went, oh, no, they've got to be. So I'm well off at this point. And I will tell you, because I went and actually retraced the wrong trail um, with my dad when I went back, him and I could not find the trail, even knowing we were going to lose it on the way back. It was easier to see on the way up. Wow. It was impossible to find on the way back. So him and I, even when we were out there, we had to navigate by Luckily, we had been memorizing every, you know, all of the different indicators so we could know where we needed to travel. Um, but I was not planning on backtracking, right? So I was not quite as observant. So I really struggled to um, find the trail. I luckily had memorized a few landmarks and was able to find those, therefore meaning that I had at least found a section of the trail that I was on. Um, but I could not find, um, because how the trail had gone is it taken me into a dip and then up onto a ridge. I could not find the way to get back to that intersection, um, because that was not clearly marked at all. And so, um, um, I spent the evening, um, and the rest of the day walking this ridge, trying to find where that intersection could possibly be. Um, and was just not able to. And it also had been raining all day. And all I had on me was uh, a Nalgene water bottle uh, that was about a quarter filled, a granola bar, and luckily had was wearing a, a heavy sweater and my rain slicker um, that uh, was able to keep me cool. So I walked the ridge um, until I found... Uh, so, so anyways, I'm, I'm walking back and forth on the ridge. The sun is starting to set. And uh, because I'm on a ridge, it's very windy. I'm very wet, um, you know, all over my pants um, because the, because I'm walking in weeds and things like that. So I go, I need to camp for the night. So I dug myself a little hole before I totally lost the light, pulled some logs together to try and block me from the wind. And the first night was definitely the scariest um probably the the closest um i was to death uh for sure the whole time um so i i had to take my pants and socks off because they were wet try and tuck the my my legs up underneath my sweater so i'm tied into a very tight ball and uncontrollably uh shaking um so i would sleep about 10 10 minutes at a time, at least that's how it felt. Um, and then just wake up from the shaking. Um, and so anyways, that was honestly the whole night <laughs> was just mm -hmm. trying to stay warm enough, stay, um, moving around. And I didn't dare put on my wet clothes and pace around. Um, but but that that may have that may have helped to have kept me warm. But it was anyways, it was a really rough night. Morning came. Heat did not come immediately. 
um, and I was sick of being cold. So I put my socks on, which were frozen, um, and slid them into my boots and then uh, just started walking around. And as, I, as I moved, obviously, the ice thawed, and then it was just wet, wet boots. Um, so I spent the rest of the day into the afternoon walking up and down the ridge, trying to find um, trying to find the trail, walking to points where I cleared the ridge and I was seeing landmarks I hadn't seen. And um, so then I started thinking through in my mind and went, what what do I need to do? what do I need to do to get rescued? Because my plan was to get back on the trail and either go to the trailhead or there was a camp that uh, uh, trail cutters can fly into that was probably um, you know, maybe 10, 15 miles back that I also could have gone to that I think um, there was a person who, who was stationed there who I, who I could have worked with. Um, and so that plan was obviously not possible. So I went, I've got three days before dehydration I'm out of water. I've got to find a water source. Um, and, and I obviously cannot figure out a way to get back to the trail. Um, what they recommend you do when you're lost is, of course, to sit and wait and mm -hmm. see. Problem was, I knew that my dad, when he did not run into me, would call a camp. And then he would go back and look for me. Mm -hmm. And then I knew he would not find me. And then he would have a whole day's journey back to the truck. And then at that point, I didn't know how long it would take for helicopter support to come and search for me. And so as I was doing the math, I went, I, I think it's three or four days. And by that point, I'm, I'm dead of dehydration because there's no water up on this ridge. So I made what many scoutmasters may be scowling at me for, but um, <laughs> I don't know. They can eat my shorts because I didn't die. Um, <laughs> but I made the very conscious decision to break the fundamental rule of being in the wilderness and choose to navigate myself out. Mm. Um, I saw a ridge, um, a valley over that looked similar to where we had eaten before. And I said, I'm going to go that way. At this point, the sun is coming out. I finally thought off. Um, I, I, was familiar with a few berries that were edible. And though starvation is not a problem until three weeks, because my plan was to navigate myself out, um, I wanted to make sure I was at least supplementing with some energy while I was going. So whenever I saw grasshoppers, I knew grasshoppers were safe to eat uncooked. I would catch the grasshoppers and eat them. Whenever I saw huckleberries or thimbleberries, I would eat them or put them in a little Ziploc bag I found that I had had um, in my pocket for I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And it made a very disgusting jam as I would store that in there because I didn't want to eat any more of the berries. Not because I was full, but you can only eat so many berries. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyways, um, that's a lot of information. And so... I'm going to fast forward a little bit and just hit the highlights because from here, it's a lot of navigational blunders. It's a lot of long, arduous hiking through and bushwhacking ultimately, right? The people ask like, oh, did you cover so many miles? I have no doubt that I covered a number of miles. So I was lost on my own for five days. Um, so we were on horseback already at that point for two of the... Of, two days, right? We were out for two days. 
and then I was lost for five days. And then uh, on the on, I'll, I'll tell you how how that ended. But so for five days, we already know the one day I spend the whole day right on that ridge and then coming down. And then the next several days, um, I, I hike up um, on day two to that landmark that I thought I recognized. It is not the ridge that I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 nowhere close. So at this point, uh, I'm going, I need a new plan. I'm very fatigued because I've just climbed up a mountain, right? I've climbed all the way down this huge mountain I'm on. I've climbed up another and I hear helicopters and I thought, oh, um, I don't think they're looking for me because that doesn't match my timetable estimate, but there may be a fire threat. So I ought to at least see if I can flag them down. Now they were flying over the ridge where I previously was, (laughs) which is too bad, Um, but, Um, so I'm a, I'm a ridge over and I see a helicopter that comes and I am watching it literally all afternoon as it get meanders and leaves and comes back and leaves. And I have taken my um, sweater off and fashioned it into a, a flag so I can try and flag him down. And finally, the helicopter approaches me um, and it's right over. It was so close to me, I could read its serial number. Like I mm. seriously, like there was the number. And I'm waving my flag, and I thought for sure he had to have seen me. He flies right over me, and then he keeps going. And I went, maybe he circles back, and then he goes and he starts looking on that other ridge. So I, you know, at at that point, I go, okay, I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I can't, I can't rely on that. Like that ship, mm-hmm. that ship has sailed at this point. And um, uh, when I've told this at firesides or other places, they say, oh, were you just so heartbroken? Uh, I wasn't. I was actually Hmm. very quite dehydrated up on the ridge and had wasted a whole day waiting on the helicopter. And I, for me, it was like, that sucks. But what this means is I have to be the one to figure this out. And I now don't need to play this weird waiting, guessing, how can I be the easiest to see game? And I just need to figure out a way to get on a trail. So I knew the right direction to the trailhead. Um, and so I said, I'm going east. I will keep going east. I'm sustaining myself enough that I will not die of starvation. I'm going to stay next to a water source at all time. And my goal for extraction is one month. I will take one month to bushwhack through, to move through, um, get to the trailhead. And if I get to the trailhead and I can't get any vehicles, I can't break into any vehicles, I will follow the road. I will just take my time until I get the highway, which is a good 60 miles at least away. And so I said, I just got to pace myself um, and and just take take the time that it needs. Um, and that gave me a lot of peace to to have to be the one in the driver's seat and to have a timetable that felt extended. So to fast forward now a little bit, uh, I cut through a river because, so I climb back down off this ridge. All there is is a river. It's just there. You cannot walk on the side of it. There's so much deadfall. So I am skipping stones. You know, I'm hopping over stones in the river. I spend night three right off of the riverbed, which is quite chilly. Um, And then, and then continue on uh, as soon as I can in the morning. 
At nights, I cannot sleep through the night. I try to go to bed when there's a little bit of light still out. So I have some warmth. Um, and then when I woke up, I would just pace, hit stones together, do something to just try and keep my body moving to keep some heat. Um, multiple occasions, tried to make a fire by trying to find flint and steel, trying to rub sticks together. Uh, I even dismantled my phone to try and see if I could use some of those pieces to use a reflection to light up some tinder. Um, just nothing took. And if any survivalist wants a moral of the story, uh, have a Bic lighter. So I now travel with a uh, emergency fanny pack that has a couple of tools in it. But yeah. if I would have had a lighter, um, there's it, I would never have left the ridge. And I would have been able to flag down any kind of aircraft mm -hmm. if it wasn't looking for me. Um, and, and my dad actually, um, he, he went and he took, he put a Bic lighter in every piece of clothing that he had because he didn't mm. want to travel with a fanny pack like I do. <laughs> um, but just because, and Bic lighters actually, if you want to know, are the most reliable lighter in any scenario. Oh. Other than getting wet or anything, they've done all kinds of studies. I had a fancy laser lighter that my wife got me. And it turns out Bic lighters are the most reliable. The cheapest lighter is the best survival lighter. So if you wanted a little factoid, there you go. We all know what we're getting each other for Christmas this year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, sleep in the riverbed. I continue down. I see some promising uh, animal game trails. It also is the direction that I want to go um, because it's truly east. So I leave the river. Um, and I cut across, I find some natural runoff springs that I'm able to refill the water. At this point, I hit a point of, of just fatigue and I, 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 I stop hiking probably like two or four in the afternoon and just kind of sit on this hill. Um, as I was traveling along the river, I saw lots of um, uh, evidence of bears, several berries that had been eaten by bears, bear poop. Um, and that was fun. Um, when I'm on this ridge, that, that's my two closest encounters with wildlife. Um, so I wake up in the morning to a cougar, uh, the shrieking of a cougar just on the other side of the river. Um, and I probably am only a quarter of a mile away from the river, um, where I was resting. And so I move cougars terrify me mm -hmm. um more, more than bears interestingly enough but i really am terrified of cougars um later that day so i'm cutting across this ridge um going the direction i need to go luckily getting enough springs as i go um reach a level of fatigue and and lay down and sleep for a little bit and i never looked back to confirm but i was woken up by the sound of a, like a snorting smelling and i can't tell you to this day whether i dreamt it or oh it was right behind me because i just got up and left i just i didn't i didn't want to see it i didn't want to look for it um i i didn't want any trouble the area i was in is much more prone to have black bears and black bears are not nearly as frightening as grizzly bears or aggressive so mm. i don't think i was any in any serious danger, but I still don't want to be next to you a black bear on foot. 
Um, so anyways, I continue down. This is now day four, right? I've had one, one, two, three, four, four sleeps. I've had four sleeps. Um, and I come down off the ridge I, and I see a river, not the same river I was on, but another one that probably contributes to it. And I go, oh, fantastic. That's going exactly the direction I need to go. That's a great water source. I can get off of this ridge. It also looks very flat. It looks very walkable. And there's a chance there's a trail. There's got, there might very well be a trail right next to that river. And as I get down, yes, I have found a trail, a true cut out trail. Um, my navigation had taken me a whole cluster of ridges over into another inlet that um, was, was, the trailheads are probably a couple miles apart, but there, this is the next one over, right? This lane. Okay. So I'm overjoyed um, that I, uh, that I found this trail and I'm just a new surge of confidence. I also see human footprints, mm. which means that I can't be too far from a trailhead um, because someone has been out there on foot as opposed to needing to go in on a horse. So I'm very excited. Uh, at this point, it's important for you to know my shoes are completely split uh, out the sides. Um, my ankles are, are, are very touch and go, right? My, I mean, my whole feet are just have a lot of pain. Um, and, uh, and it, anyway, so, and I've also lost, um, so much weight at this point that the only way I could keep my pants up is grabbing each belt loop, the front belt loops on either side and pulling them together. So I grabbed a piece, a green piece of, uh, like stick that I could tie so that I could tie them together to try and hold them up. Um, cause I wore the pants without a belt before, and then they needed, you know, that much support. Wow. Um, and so anyways, I'm on the trail. I'm overjoyed. I'm nearly skipping, um, with, with, with joy. Um, you know, I, I see a little baby duck and, oh, a cute baby duck. I'm in, I'm in very good spirits. Um, and then as I'm traveling, all of a sudden the wind just starts ripping through and very strong and a storm comes uh, rolling in and I'm, I'm laughing, practically laughing um, because it's just, why not? You know, why not? I finally have some, some good news. And um, anyways, I, I kid you not, lightning strikes this mountain on the other side of the river and a tree and all these rocks come tumbling down. <laughs> Wind is blowing so strong that these old trees that are dead are literally falling to the side of me. So as every time I enter a group of trees, I'm like kind of hobbling quickly because I don't want one to fall on me. Anyways, luckily the storm blows over um, and... Uh, you know, it, it was, it was fine. I was fine. I kept moving. I was so excited that I did not go to bed at a good time. I went to bed right as the sun was setting and that meant I couldn't sleep for very long. So I woke up, um, probably around midnight, only slept for a few hours and I didn't want to lose the trail at all costs, but I had to keep moving. And I felt like I could safely follow the trail at night. So long as I just crept along. Um, mm -hmm. the light is because there's quite a bit of trees. I'm deep in a valley. There's not much visibility. So I just very carefully picked my steps 
and kept moving. Had to do a stream crossing or two at night that were not all entirely successful. So <laughs> got a little wet, um, but you know, kept moving. So at this point, it's two in the morning, and I see just a bizarre glow from within the trees, a light beaming through. And I, I seriously, I go, it is either an angel here to, to take me, or it is aliens. And <laughs> God, God is taking me on a tour of, of everything before I pass. Because, and, and this is an important detail, I've been very prayerful the whole time. And I'm someone who everyone talks to God differently. I'm someone who tends to get a real answer, an answer I understand as opposed to a feeling. Like God and I communicate in words. And um, every answer I got, should I go this way or should I go this way? How should I be thinking about this? What if it, hmm. God would say, oh, whatever you wow. think. Wow. Whatever you think. And, and I thought, what an odd time to have <laughs> no opinion. And so I was very puzzled as to what his intentions were and whether or not I was just going on a wild goose chase to eventually die and that it was my mission to, to struggle or if, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So the whole time, that's, I think that's what made it so humorous is it was kind of like, God, are you here to help me? Or are, are you wanting me to die here? <laughs> because you're not giving me very clear. And you know what I mean? So yeah. anyways, I see this light. Um, and I approach it cautiously. And then I hear the, the ring of a, a small bell, like that you'd put on a cow so you can keep track of it. So I realize that there's some animals back there. Um, through the light, I'm able to see a horse. And it looks like kind of a makeshift camp. I have no clue who's in there. I assume it's a trail crew um, and a trail crew is going to be traveling probably with weapons and might be a little cagey. So I want to be pretty careful at two in the morning interrupting someone while they're sleeping. And so I keep a good safe distance and just shout out and just say, hello, is anyone there? I, I need help. I'm lost. Um, and then I hear a woman's voice from the tent rip out, um, you know, rips open the, the opening, and she says, are you Caden? I say, yes, I'm Caden. She goes, where have you been looking for? She runs and comes, gives me a, a great big hug. Uh, her name's Robin. It was her and her husband, Brett, um, who were friends of my parents. They, my parents had sold them a trailer um, but they had kind of a strange relationship. And when they had heard of, of my story, joined the search party to look. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the funny thing is um, they were kind of given the assignment to go to this canyon that my dad thought there's no way that Caden could be there. Mm. But Robin and Brett were kind of this last throw in. So my dad had plans, routes for everyone else. Um, but they were like, well, what can we do? We're, we're experienced. Cause they had to be experienced. The police did not want anyone in there searching. And my parents were able to work something out with them 
because they only let experienced backwoodsmen back there. Because they were experienced, they were allowed to go, but they were very last minute. And he goes, well, why don't you go down this canyon? Whether you find them or not, you should have a nice ride. It's a really beautiful area. (laughs) And so anyways, it was, if they hadn't have been there, I would have made it out. But it would have been a very tough couple more days um, Mm -hmm. because I had, there was a massive mountain that had to be climbed on that last day. Mm. So anyways, it was wonderful. They, they were there. They had a, an emergency pack. I had to be very careful how I ate because I needed to readjust my stomach to real food. Um, and then that night after, you know, we were up, they had these um, emergency GPS things my, my parents had purchased so that they could even, even that deep, they could still send a message like they're mm-hmm. like GPS not GPS phones, they're different, but um, anyways, they can send a, a signal, like a really rough message. And so they were able to notify um, my family that I was safe and who can notify the police and everything from there. So and search and rescue, I should say, not police. That's what I mean. I mean, the police are involved as well with the search and rescue. Yeah. But anyway, so then that night as I'm sleeping, um, I suddenly wake up and my heart is palpitating and my body is fluctuating hot and cold and I thought I was having a heart attack and I to this day don't know exactly what it is but from my understanding from the conversations I've had um, your body and your mind change a lot in a high um, adrenaline situation like that your digestion slows way down um, your brain switches to uh, I believe it's about fifty percent capacity, um, mm. and so you hope that the fifty percent it holds on to is the helpful fifty percent, not the <laughs> not helpful fifty percent. Um, and uh, anyways, and I was I mean I was high on adrenaline constantly, like I mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. you know it was a very I'm sure you can imagine. So anyways, I had to come down hard, and luckily it settled, but it was very frightening because it was my body finally releasing and feeling safe you know and and that came with a a big release right that was kind of terrifying um we're getting close on time and i want to get to the actual learnings because these are these details are fun (laughs) but there's you know this is a life-changing experience for me so i'm going to fast forward a little bit um helicopter is flying trying to find us uh, is not able to so we make it all the way to the trailhead on horseback we do encounter a black bear on our attempt, a little uh, baby black bear. So I'm glad I didn't run across that as on foot, but on horseback, it was not anything of concern. We get up to the top. The helicopter is there. They fly me to a private airport. I'm able to reunite with um, my wife and uh, several other, you know, lots of my siblings had come out um, to, you know, try and just be there. Like my whole family was there looking for me, trying to help, trying to hold things together. And, uh, and so anyways, it was big, big reunion there at the airport. And then, um, all the rescue party that was looking for me and things came to the house and was able to chat through with them. And so anyways, I was rescued. So lots of details. I went into maybe more details with you gals than I have with, (laughs) with some others. Maybe it turned into too much of a travel log, but that that is the details of of my little adventure in uh, Montana. 
Wow. Uh, I, okay. First of all, I need to know, like the, when is the when is the movie going to happen here? Like this, needs- <laughs> it's going to be a lot of walking. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be much of a movie. I just I listened to your story and and you joke, Caden, but we could listen to this for hours and hours because I think it is just such an intriguing story that I'm sure you have documented, you know, so that you have those details. But wow, so so much of this, I just think this is. I mean, this is what you, like you said, this is what you see on TV. This is what you see in the movies and you have lived this experience and are now sharing it with us, which is so amazing, so incredible. Um, I mean, I got a list of questions I want to ask you, but I'll keep it, but I'll keep it brief. You know, one of the things that, that you have mentioned quite a few times um, that I'm still just so intrigued with is just the ability that you continue to have to think clearly and be at peace regardless of the situation. And you mentioned prayer and you mentioned, um, you know, the fact that your wife was, your wife was there and, and your child was uh, going to be born soon. But I, but I think of so many people in that situation that would have given up hope at sure. some point. And, and so how did you continue to, logistically make those decisions and and to think clearly and to not find yourself in a state of shock uh, you know where where you essentially would have given up at that point i mean is there anything that you can you can say this this was probably the force that kept driving me sure no i think that's i think that's a great question um i mean obviously i think there's multiple pieces to that right um you 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 hit on the faith which i think is a a really large portion of that um making peace with death is is Mm -hmm. uh really if the fear of death rules your life and you're in a life or death situation um you know you'll crumble there's i'm i'm one of few successful rescues out of the Montana Bitterroot Wilderness area mm-hmm, in the last mm-hmm. several years. There have been a lot of people who have passed and I've watched other people who have gotten out and they come out very rattled, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think a fear of death can really control a person. And I think faith helps a lot to overcome that, but you still have to go on that adventure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's, you know, being, you know, being tough, being resilient was definitely something that I would say was very important in my family. Um, and also, I just think there were a lot of times where that muscle has had to be stretched and strengthened. Y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where the stakes were so much higher, but the situation was similar to others, if that makes sense. This need okay. to, I'm terrified. Yeah. But I need to, terror will do nothing for me. That is not going to help me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so even though the stakes were higher and the situation was unfamiliar, I think the feeling was similar. And, and so that, that muscle was able to be used. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I want to say, too, like there were blunders, right? I made directional mistakes, and I've noted some of those in the story. Um, there were laps in thinking. There's something called uh, 
I hope I'm calling it the right thing, but directional madness. They see it in mm-hmm. Marines as well when they train them on their navigation course. No matter how much they prepare them, as soon as they drop, it takes them, the good ones, a few hours, the bad ones, up to a day or more to get mm-hmm. their bearings and stop running in circles. Mm-hmm. And my most of that first day, I had directional madness and could feel it. I knew it was happening because I was not rational. And I was just basically trying to keep myself safe. Of my bot, my mind is reeling. I'm trying to. It's okay if I'm not on the trail. Does I just need to go this direction? I need, you know, like my mind is just going. And luckily, I had the wherewithal to say, just don't descend anywhere. Don't mm. do anything that is going to break your leg, and mm-hmm. don't stray too far. Like yeah. you can be as mad as you want, but you need like mad isn't crazy, right? But you you can't. Don't put yourself in a situation that you can't pull yourself back out of because it's real. I mean, it is real. Like that is, you know, that takes a lot of training and experience, um, at least I would imagine, to yeah. to be able to not have that madness set in when you're all alone and you don't know where you are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think you should bring your skills and go on alone. <laughs> you might win some dollars with, that, with all your newfound skills. <laughs> oh man! So, Caden, I'm sure this is something. I mean, it, obviously, having you having gone back to the trail, you and your father, and um, kind of retracing your steps, and I'm sure this happens for most people having gone through a a, a traumatic situation. But looking back, and uh, is there anything? you know, in those initial choices in that story that you would, that you think to yourself, I would have done this differently or, or, you know, we shouldn't have done this or are are, are there certain big decisions that you kind of keep kicking yourself in the butt for, or have you kind of made peace with those things? Yeah. I was very worried when I went back and I told my dad, I said, I may have some shame, you know, when I find out what happened. And I'll tell you, I actually, because I'm, I knew where my skill level was at, which is I'm experienced, but I'm not by no means a expert backcountryman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't feel any shame for the decisions I made. And that doesn't mean that there are not a million and one things I did wrong, right? Yeah. Number one, I sh- we never should have had a plan that required us to separate from the group. That was oh. the first wrong thing to do. That is not something that we should have done. Uh, number two... Um, though the trail, when I turned off was going the direction, um, that we were going, uh, for a certain period of time at a point it did turn. And I, Mm -hmm. that should have told me that this is wrong. Like that should have been a a warning sign that I detected. Also, if I was going to go up ahead, I should have planned for contingencies. I should have had a lighter. Mm -hmm. I should have had emergency supplies. I, you know, I, I went into it you know, way too confident, um, as opposed to showing the proper respect to the mountain to, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? To prepare mm-hmm. for those things. So yeah, no, there's, there's a long list of things that uh, <laughs> should have been done differently. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I think that's also a testament to how important it is to have resilience, like what you hit on. Mm-hmm. I've read a few books since and, and connected with some of the survival community and one of the biggest separators they have found from people who can survive in in either survival situations or other 
a high intensity situations are those that can keep their bearings in a high stress situation more so mm-hmm. than any skill or knowledge because if you lose your mind you know what i mean yeah. you will make a mistake and so i'm i like i said i don't know all the ingredients to that but i am grateful what whatever played into it you, you know what i mean from from faith to divine guide you know maybe not guidance but divine protection at least you mm-hmm. know to to my upbringing to maybe who i am whatever the ingredients are i'm grateful that 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 con- concoction was the right one you know yeah mm-hmm. so i'm curious and 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 knowing the little bit that i know about you you now have a 3 year old and a 1 year old and i'm assuming you've already taken them on many adventures of course. out into the wilderness And so now having little kids and kind of educating and teaching those little kids, is there fear associated with, you know, with this idea of maybe having those similar situations or now does it make you more prepared to teach them? Fear for them or fear, fear for them or fear for me? Fear, I guess fear for them that they may have a situation like that at some point in their life, they may have a similar situation. Yeah, that's a great question. I will be honest with you. I don't think they're old enough for that fear to be very top of mind for me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they're teenagers and saying they want to go somewhere by themselves, then yeah, there's probably some fear there for (laughs) sure. For sure. But as as for myself, I've never felt more confident in the mountains. Um, You you know what I mean? Because I... I've I've survived the worst and I'm that much more aware of things I was never aware of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're we're getting uh, close on time. Do you mind? Can I just share one at least one quick learning that I learned from this experience? And I'd love to hear the rest of your questions. Yeah, please. I just do. want Go to be ahead. courteous to oh, I know you're I just you guys fine. have got a hard stop. Um for me. Um, cause there, there were a number of outcomes from this. Um, I had to, I had to go through a, a couple of PTSD episodes afterwards. It didn't last, mm-hmm. um, for too long, but at least for, you know, three, four, five months, um, they would happen, uh, occasionally without warning. Um, and, uh, and also I had to relearn, uh, a number of things very challenging for me to go to the gym and I had to actually stop going. Mm-hmm. Because trying to tap into like rage motivation or something like that to work out just did not work. And work, I had to relearn how to work too, because I was not motivated by the same way of status, accomplishment, praise. They they, they just were not the same because the mm. stakes have been so much higher. Um, and for a long time, this took quite a while to work through. And I just took the time. Matter of fact, for a whole year. After I told the story to my survivors and to the news stories, the news outlets that were following the story, um, I would not tell the story to anyone for a whole year. I would write it down. I would ponder on it. But I did not want it to grow or expand. And I didn't know what it meant to me yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was a lot. It was a lot to sort through. And I even feel like chemically there were some things that my body didn't quite adjust to for um, it took nearly a year for me to feel a little bit more normal. I was much more like uh, on edge and and things like that. But the biggest pondering of that um, was was this really helpful anecdote, which was um, I died. I died on that mountain. Um, And then I and then I was 
alive again. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm -hmm. there was such a real possibility that I could have died that, mm -hmm. that not dying, you, you know what I mean? Is basically it's either, you know, it's a clone of me or it's a zombie, a version mm -hmm. of me brought back from life, or it's just someone who was given bonus time. Like the time was up and it yes. was called but then there was extra that was given, and that's what I have. And that anecdote has led me on a wonderful journey that I'm still on, which is death is no thing. Death has no sting. There is no mm. such thing as true death. Therefore, what do I fill my life with? And mm. how do I... What what do what what do I want it to look like? And fear should be no thing. You know what I mean? Fear should be eradicated from my mind because I'm already dead. So 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 what? Someone laughs at me, they're laughing at someone who's dead. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Because so so what is it that I want? What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? Who do I want to love? How do I want to show up? Um, and I will be honest, I do not live up to that uh, hardly ever, but, but I'm better than I've been. And, and so the, the, the other way that I can say it is if I am ever in a situation where I'm staring death in the face again, I do not want my reaction to be peace. Interestingly enough, hmm. I want it to be no gods. I'm having too much fun. Don't let heaven end for me because life is heaven and I'm making heaven and I love being here. And, and when I die, I hope that whatever death brings is more of what life has been to me. Um, because I don't always do that. I, and I think even as Latter-day Saints, sometimes we, we, we think that God is preparing this mansion. And so we're going to just like suffer and then we're going to go and he's going to be like, all right, here's how to be happy. Here you go. Here's everything that you've ever wanted that you didn't know you wanted. When really my thesis on life is that we show up and God goes, okay, do you know how to build a mansion? Do you know how to build a community of people you love? Do you know how to spend eternity in a way that brings you joy? And I, I fear, and I know firsthand my answer has not always been yes. And I don't know, mm. you know what I mean? And yeah. that's, that's my mission is I need to, I need to love my life so much. I need to make my life as much of a heaven as possible that when I die, I'm just trying to continue to build more mm. heaven from what mm. I've experienced as opposed to waiting for some moment. You, you know what I mean? Oh. So anyways. That, you know, it's, it's funny because oftentimes we, um, we ask our individuals that come on this podcast, like, what is your why? Why are you here? Why do you feel, you know, it's so important to share your story and that's your why. And that is so powerful because I think there are so many listeners out there that are thinking, this is a great story, but I'll be honest, I'm never going to be stuck in, in the mountains of Montana. Like, like <laughs> sure. that's not going to happen in my life, but right there that um, insight you just shared, I think that we can all relate that to our lives. That yeah, idea of live your life to the fullest, take advantage of those opportunities, be happy, experience all there is to experience. And so 
I think that's so powerful. That's such a powerful message to leave this leave this podcast with. So I, thank you, thank you for a, sharing. Absolutely, that. and if and if I may say just one more thing, I I think that's what God wants too. You know what I mean? Like I I, I looked at the parable of the talents, and I I have said this to to other people. Um, what if there was a fourth person, and he was given four talents? And he invested them as aggressively as he could, and he got no return. I I think the Savior would be incredibly proud of someone who invested so rigorously. And and someone said this, and I thought this was very wise when I told them that. They said, the reason there's not a fourth is because when you invest, you always get a return on your investment. When you're investing Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. the Lord, which I agree with. And for me, that anecdote is still very helpful of the savior being so proud of someone who goes for broke as opposed to hiding their talents or investing so cautiously as not to make an investment. But I, I really think that, that God wants us to, to, to take full advantage of this experience he's created for him. So anyways, yeah. that's what I believe. Yeah. Well, Kaden, I think, like my mind is just going now of how can I apply that um, information to my life? And I mean, that was like a mind blow of we can all do better in living life to the fullest and partaking in those opportunities we have. Um, So thank you for that. That was great insight and information that we can all partake in. So listeners, Thanks, I'm, listeners, I'm so glad that you came today and listened to our podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as, as much as Hillary and I have enjoyed it today, learned lots of great things. And um, we again appreciate Caden coming on. We hope that you have a good week and we want you to be kind and patient to yourself. And we will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at thefamilyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daily The Family Place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.